0: So Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We'll continue our look at this book which records um, the beginning of the kingdom of Israel. Uh, last week, just to recap, introduced to the book through the lens of this woman, Hannah, who is barren, and her husband, Elkanah. Uh, these two would be the parents of the prophet and kingmaker, Samuel. Uh, one thing we noticed was most of the action and drama in the story uh, revolved around places of worship um, surrounding the family's yearly pilgrimage to Shiloh. And it was at Shiloh that Hannah, in her desperation, um, cried out to God in fervent yet silent prayer, asking God to remember her with a son and vowing to return the son back to the Lord. Um, after mistaking her as for a drunken woman, the high priest Eli blesses her. Hannah goes away at that moment happy and later conceives a son who, after he's been weaned, she then returns to Eli. And uh, it's on the occasion of her leaving her son at Shiloh that Hannah um, lifts up the um, prayerful song that starts off chapter 2. But uh, before we read that, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Almighty and comparable God, we do praise you and rejoice in your mighty works. That you are not a God distant and far off, but a God who enters into relationship with your people. We thank you for the history of your nation, Israel, and the stories that you've recorded in your scriptures and how they instruct us uh, that they demonstrate to us not just the sinful acts of humanity but the gracious sovereignty of the God who reverses the patterns of human history uh, rising uh, making the the poor rising them up uh, bringing down the mighty giving the barren fruit and making the fruitful barren That you are a God who directs our paths. And you're a God who raises up servants for yourself. God, we are thankful that we are not dependent upon um, our own actions or human intervention, but we are dependent upon the God who intervenes in human history. Uh, Give us joy and instruction through your word now, through the intervening act of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so to start today, we're going to start by reading the first um, 11 verses of chapter 2. Spend some time looking at this song that Hannah um, lifts up to God. And then we'll turn to the rest of the chapter which focuses on Eli and his sons. So, chapter 2, 1 Samuel, chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. And Hannah prayed... And said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble find on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So here we have this song that um, Hannah lifts up on the occasion of uh, leaving her son in Shiloh to serve uh, in the uh, tabernacle there. So, is this song primarily about Hannah's receiving of Samuel from God or is it about something else? Is it primarily about... God having given her the son that she so desired or is it about something else? Matt, you're shaking your head. (laughs) Yeah, here's a song we would think, you know, a woman gives birth and has this son whom she's longed for for so long that the focus of the song might be on the child and the act of receiving him. But No, it's on, the primary focus is on God. What specifically does it focus on? You know, he answers a question and then he has to leave. Yeah. Deeply offended him. Now, people are going to be shoveling in and out, so no worries. Mark. Is both? Well, I think here it might, um, you know, it's a good question. Um, Is it both or is it the child just the occasion for giving, you know, singing about God, about all kinds of things that don't seem to have anything to do with the birth of this particular child? Um, What would you say the main themes of this psalm? Even though it, it's a prayer, but it's often called Hannah's Song. Mary, are you scratching or, uh, oh. Yeah, she starts with her personal experience there in verse 1. You know, all those my's that are repeated. So it's starting from that personal experience of this God. But it's not just um, God and Hannah. And oh, you know, look how God's blessed Hannah. But it's what God's done for Hannah is opened her eyes to how this God works in all of human history. It's not just a story about her and what God's done for her. But it's through that story of what God's done for her, it's revealed something about the nature of the Lord that's bigger and much more uh, widely encompassing. We see uh, throughout you know, these sort of repeated reversals that the way we expect things or the way that we see things are flipped. The rich are made poor, the poor are made rich. The exalted are brought low, the humble are lifted up. Um, so it's this flipping of the, of the way we see uh, human history as it normally flows. I'm glad you brought out that connection to the Magnificat, this prayer that um, uh, Mary lifts up after the birth of Jesus, and um, it's often thought that she's modeling that prayer on this prayer of Hannah, whereby um, what we, you know, might perceive to be, you know, you know, a small act on the stage of human history, you know, okay, this woman who couldn't have children now has a son, um, yeah. Big deal, that happens all the time. People get birth all the time. But it's the way she sees it, um, especially because of the way we saw how that birth came about with God remembering her. Again, It's we, we talked about this some last week. It's not about getting a son. That's sort of uh, the mechanism. The more important thing is that God remembers her. That's what she wants to know, that God hears and remembers and God remembers and gives her a son. And so, in her praise, um, and again, you know, we sort of start when we first encounter Hannah, she was crying. Now we encounter Hannah, she's singing. And what's the occasion for that shift in her life, from going from tears to joy? It's God. It's not the. It's not Samuel. It's God. So we have this song that, you know, it goes back and forth. It will focus on the sovereignty and uh, uh, that God, uh, there's no one you can compare to God. There's none holy besides the Lord. There's none beside you. And then it goes into this uh, reversal. Then it turns back to God's power. It's the Lord who kills and brings life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. Um so it's going back and forth between who God is and how God acts in history on behalf really of those who can't help themselves. Uh, he's coming to the aid of those uh, who cannot aid themselves. And you know why why that focus? Both, I mean we could say both here and in in Mary's song, why that focus? On, um, uh, the downtrodden.
1: Yeah, could have ended her life. It could have been a bad yeah. So there's a great sense of that God something
0: really Yeah, this sense of that um, God is doing big things um, through, through the people who are despised by men. Um, the people who most experience being put down by other people are the people who. Um, Best realize when God raises them up. Uh, You know, she realizes more than anyone else what a dramatic act that God has done, that He has intervened in her life. Anything else you'd say on the fact that this uh, song uh, is speaking um, of this perspective of. the lowly being raised
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mouth
0: derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Is that a little dig at Peninnah? Um Yeah, um, that's <laughs> and there's a um, I, in. I guess it was, I didn't write it in the church Bible. I wrote it in my Bible. Um, I, uh, I, I sort of wrote a little note to myself Is, is Penn and not hearing this? <laughs> um, you know, is this, you know, she prayed and said, um, I mean, is this uh, a song she's lifting up outwardly so that uh, the one who has been um, boasting over is hearing? Um, uh, yeah. Is <laughs> it a little. A we'll little dig there, huh, maybe. Here. Yeah, it really ends on this interesting note. Um, let me just read verse 10. Um, Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them. He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. And his anointed is the first instance of the word Messiah. So, um, yeah, it's very pro king, but, you know, we're, she's saying this. There is no king. Um, so, what's going on there? What is this? You know, why at the end of the song does she give this strong statement? that are uh, you know requests a plea God gives strength to his king and God exalt the horn of his anointed she a prophet um, what's going on why why in this song with this uh, as Mary says this strong pro monarchy um, little couplet
1: If you that have to say that, the law.
0: There's this expectancy for a, a king. There's a, a longing for um, for God's man to rule. It's also interesting. Um, I mentioned this last week. First and Second Samuel are originally one big book or scroll. Second um, Samuel ends with the song almost. There's one chapter afterwards, but sort of similarly to where Hannah's is placed, ends with the song of David. So the um this story if we're uh, you know looking at first and second samuel as one big book it starts with a song and it ends with a song uh, uh, and the first song is raised up by this woman um, whose son is the kingmaker and the last song is is lifted up by uh, the model king so um, so this focus on Israel having a king, uh, I think, is is very much in mind. Yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know who wrote. We don't know who wrote this book. But this song um, is is um, recorded um, in detail so uh, you know which again sort of goes to she she must have uttered this aloud she was in Shiloh the center of, of ritual life in Israel at this moment um, and I mentioned this last week um, this becomes the model pr- or, or her prayer becomes the model prayer uh, in Judaism and this psalm, um is a model psalm in many respects you know, starting from personal circumstances but quickly moving to praise of God and it's not about her it's about God and what God has done for her. Mark? It's a good question um, there, and there are a couple of things in here that Uh, really look much differently when we view them through the lens of the New Testament. Um, You know, he brings down to Sheol and raises up uh, in in verse 6. You know, that comes across a certain way if we are just looking within the context of the Old Testament. But when you bring uh, the New Testament into play, wow, you know, God raises people from the dead. Um, You know, so... You know, with us sort of looking through the cross back on this, I absolutely, I think that you know she, we could apply it to um, to David and his lineage. But you know, is she really talking about David's greater son? You know, what King Messiah is she really expecting? If we if we go. Yeah, it would be a weird way to end if it just sort of takes from that ultimate scheme of human history back down to just the political circumstances of Israel. Um, is she talking about the ultimate king, uh, God's ultimate anointed? these commands. And this one, it certainly seems to both um, to both praise, but also to instruct others and to um, drag others into praise of God um, that they can't just sit there on the sidelines. Um, but, you know, this is again, it's not just her God, it's their God. And this is the God that they need to see operating in human history. Um, so, again, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's. It's a prayer that's meant to do more than just sort of emphasize this vertical relationship between Hannah and God, but it's a prayer that's meant to bring others in to it. Why? Why horn? And, and notice, and if you're thinking about horn um, in this particular prayer, notice how she starts with horn and she ends with horn. So I think you're absolutely right to sort of focus on that word. You know, it's in that um, second line, my horn is exalted in the Lord. And then um, the the last plea, God, asking God to exalt the horn of his anointed. But your footnote there sort of captures the main strength uh, or the main emphasis of this word, you know, strength. (laughs) He would think that, wouldn't he? (laughs) That's why we know that horns are better than strength. (laughs) why I think it goes again to this sort of um, reference to the the king and the anointed I mean we when we think of horn as power and strength I mean um, she's starting off um, that her strength is, um, is exalted her horn is exalted in the Lord and then with this plea that God will do the same thing in the life of his anointed um, so again it's sort of uh, if If we think of horn as power, um, you know she's been empowered to give birth by God um, you know bull's strength um, you, know, you know yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've got several sort of, and you know, those kinds of horn um, being the symbol. You know, again, just sort of get into the symbolic language of these people. Um, it's because they have these other sort of visible testimonies to what, you know, horn um, being powerful. Yeah. All right, anything else on Hannah's song before we switch gears a little bit? All right, so um, the rest of this chapter is going to bounce back and forth between Samuel's sort of childhood and some of the other characters that surround his childhood, uh, mainly Eli's two sons, um, Hophni and Phinehas. So let me read um, uh, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart, And in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. All right, so let's start with these... um, Two young men who are described in uh, verse 12 as worthless men. And um, just to sort of uh, make a connection that we might not um, normally pick on, in chapter 1, Hannah asked Eli not to consider her a worthless woman, literally a daughter of Belial. And now when we're introduced to these two um, young men, We're told that the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, worthless men. So the very phrase that Hannah asked Eli, don't consider me a worthless woman, or introduced to Eli's sons, we're told explicitly that they're worthless men. So what makes these two um, so uh, offensive to God? Why are Phinehas and Hophni worthless men? What are some of the things we see them doing? Yeah, so we're given this picture of... um, of the practices in Israel at the time. And back in Leviticus, we're we're given the rules for what the priest's portion should be. And it's specified that it's to be the breast meat and the right thigh. Now, how much more specific can you get than that? And yet here we're given um, this picture of, um, (laughs) I mean, this is I I meant to look this up, but I didn't. Is this the origin of the words potluck? Stick the fork in the pot, you know, what comes out. I know. This is where my brain goes sometimes. But we're given this picture of them um, not taking the specific portions, a lot of them, but by taking this three pronged fork and, you know, jabbing it in everybody's pan, kettle, cauldron, or pot and getting whatever they can. And then that's not good enough for them. They go and take um, the meat before it's been cooked and the fat has been um, burned off because the fat is to be burned off that's God's portion is the fat that's burned off that's the portion that's dedicated to God nobody is supposed to eat the fat and they're saying nope don't give me the uncooked or the cooked meat we want the uncooked with the fat still on we like fat soaks up all of it. need mm, fat <laughs> I might be with uh, Phineas and Hopi on that one. But uh, taking um, taking both what hasn't been portioned from them and then taking God's portion. So it's it's almost like with the over there, it's sort of not only have they been taking um, pieces of meat that aren't set aside for the priest, they're taking this part that's been set aside to God. So it's, you know, they're sort of robbing... Uh, other men of the, their portions, and then robbing God of His portion. What else?
1: Um,
0: yeah, and whether, whether they're prostitutes or not, it, um, you know, because usually you you would have temple prostitutes. Um, I think these are you know it's women serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. Um, I think they're it's worse than prostitutes. They're using their positions of power to. Um, to, to sleep with the people um, who are subject to them authority. so I mean it's it's even wor- worse than prostitution in that sense that it's sort of um, using their position as priests to take sexual advantage of the women who are beneath them in this uh, ritual system what else? so we've got um, um, uh you know, taking um, from the people and uh, the offerings and uh, go back to the I'm, I meant to say this with Christian's comment notice how the people are having to give them some instruction wait a minute <laughs> um, you know they're objecting no wait you're supposed to burn the fat first then take as much as you want so it's the people are going like wait a minute the fat belongs to God you're not supposed to take that no, give it to me now. Um, so it's this ironic uh, picture of the priests who are supposed to know this and be enforcing it are, are being held account by the people and, and people are being ignored. They, they're not heeding the voice of the people or the voice of their father. And look at the warning. I mean, he knows who they're offending. Um, you know, know my sons, it's, it, it's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? He knows um, who these practices are offending. It's obviously offending the people. They're talking about it. But it's an offense to God. And Eli knows. And when we think of this, you know, it's by God um, not letting them listen to the its the will of the Lord to put them to death. So that's why they don't listen to their father. And it's not that, you know, um, it's not that they don't you know, deserve what they're going to get. It's, um, you know, God is judging them for what they've done. And it's his will that they not repent um, at these words of counsel that Eli gives. Yeah, and if, if we, we'll, we'll get to Eli in just a minute, but just to sort of hit that, since you raised it, to hit it now, um, we'll see Eli uh, get rebuked here in a moment. And, you know, and we can ask the question, we're getting all these sins of his sons, and then why does um, this prophet come to Eli and condemn him? I think it's that reason. And we see, it's Eli, yes, he sees what they're doing is wrong. He tries to stop them, but he doesn't exercise the office that's been given to him. It's the sense, you know, he's, he's the father and high priest. And in this moment, he's letting his, his um, uh, being a father to these two get in the way of him being, exercising his role as a high priest. Um, and when we see the priesthood being taken from he, him and his family, um, that's why. It's because it's, you know, we've got the naughty things that, that Hophni and Phinehas are doing, but uh, in a sense, is Eli's um, sin worse in that he's got the power to stop them. Um, he has the responsibility to stop them, and he doesn't exercise either power or responsibility.
1: And a lineage. Yeah.
0: Yeah. what, you know, it, and to think about, you know, what's the way the people have of, of um, you know, asking God to mediate for them? It's through this sacrificial system and offerings. So if they're perverting that, you know, what's left? <laughs> you know, they they've just killed the only means they have of asking um, for God to um, to forgive them. Um, if If they're perverting the sacrifices that they've offered to God, they don't have any resort left. Yet, it's the root of the problem. Here they're in this position. They've been, by their family lineage, they've been put in this position of serving in the tabernacle of God, ministering these sacrifices. They're in the ritual office, but um, as George points out to us, you know, in, in verse 12 from the get-go, we're, we're clued in, they don't know the Lord. So whatever rituals they're going through, they're not doing it out of a genuine love or relationship with God. They're doing it out of rote and, in the picture we're given, out of personal gain. Um, they're using their priestly power uh, to bully other people, to have their uh, way with getting what food they wanted. Uh, so they're using their power to... Uh, uh, for greedy purposes, they're using it for to sexual advantage over women. They're using this position that is supposed to set them apart to service in relationship with God for their own personal gain, and you know all of that's rooted from they do not know the Lord. And uh, and that's a good point to turn to. Um, we're just given little snippets on Samuel, but notice how. When we are talked about Samuel, you know, notice what we keep, um, uh, seeing about him. In verse 11, the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Um, verse 21, the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. 26, now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So you have this striking contrast. Being set up between these sons of Eli who don't know the Lord and do all these um, horrible things in Shiloh, and this boy who's growing up in this household with you know Hophni and Phineas and Eli, seeing all these things that they're doing, yet he's growing in the presence of the Lord. Uh, you know what a contrast that's being given, and notice how it's back going back and forth between uh, the sons of Eli and then back to Samuel, then back to the sons of Eli, then back to Samuel. Um, why, why intersperse these little details about Samuel's childhood in the midst of um, you know, the main focus of this passage, which is on Eli and his two sons? Why keep you know, sticking Samuel into the story? Yeah, in the same environment, um, it's not, you know, he's growing in the presence of the Lord. It's, you know, the Lord is present. And Samuel, the child, is learning to recognize and experience that presence of the Lord. And these other people in the household with him aren't. Yeah. He doesn't have a good parenting model, that's clear. And he clearly follows Eli's example and how he parents, you know, um, worrying about his sons, rebuking his sons, but not exercising power or authority to stop them from what they're doing. Um, you know, he has learned from that model that he's grown up in. Alicia. I think it is a good... I mean, it's one of those places, again, um, Christian mentioned the the passage where, um, you know, it's the will of the Lord that these two are going to be put to death. I mean, he has set them apart to be vessels of wrath. But in the midst of the same household, he's chosen this one to be the vessel of mercy. Um, I think it's a good place to sort of think about Romans 9. Or Romans 9 is a good way to think about this chapter. Yes.
1: Because in the first time you were there's a boy, two times you were there's in your hand. So it's a very, very long time. I've observed a lot of things. Both the fact that God clearly was in his presence. So there was a good experiences coming from God this as well. later
0: Yeah, and I think that contrast again, is being specifically, you know, notice how often the words, you know, in in regards to um Eli's sons, the people, the people. I mean, this isn't just sort of, <coughs> excuse me. This isn't just, um, you know, they're doing it and nobody knows about it. Everybody knows. Um, everybody knows what the reputation uh, of these two is. And at that same time, everybody is learning the character of this um, this man, or boy at this point, uh, young man.
1: He's just a servant. in. The kid who was given up by his mother to, to the priest, to the temple, whatever. Is, was, that being a, was that a common practice? Was, was it a good mother that gives up her child? Is it once a year? I don't know. Yeah, brings yeah. him a robe every year. But he doesn't have any particular standing in front of people except that he is there
0: And I think the bringing the robe is sort of emphasizing that he has no standing, that she's having to provide even, um, you know, whatever uh, garb he has in the service to the Lord. He's not a Levite. It's not, you know, being provided for him. His mother's having to (laughs) provide. Yeah, we're not told it's explicitly. All we're told of his activities is he's ministering before the Lord. And he is he's you know, in in this um you know, it's it's not quite a tabernacle anymore, but it's not yet a full temple. I don't know what we call it. Um the house of the Lord, I guess is what um Samuel, the book of Samuel refers to it, this house in Shiloh. Um but he's clearly uh and, and we'll see this next week when we see the specific story of how God um, calls Samuel to be a prophet. Um, we'll we'll see, you know, him not just sort of hanging out around, he's at the very center of the ritual practices um, going on here in Shiloh. So he's not just sort of um, you know, sweeping up outside, you know, doing odd jobs. I mean, whatever he's doing it's It's at the heart of what's going on at Shiloh. Yeah, and he's—he's again. We're going to see him very soon speaking the word of the Lord. Um, So this is—I mean, again, it's sort of contrast being set up between uh, these men who don't know the Lord and this man. Who does know the Lord, and that difference is 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 visible. Um, it's not just sort of um, you know in this crowd, there you know you know there are some that know the Lord and some don't, and uh, you know we can't figure it out. No, uh, the people recognize that this is someone who has a a real knowledge of the Lord. All right, uh, before we end, let's just talk a little bit about. Um, the priest Eli. Um, so what kind of picture do we, are we given of this priest Eli? It's sort of a complex, you know, think about what we've been told about Eli. Um, what are some of the things we see about him? How would you describe Eli? Weak in that he doesn't reign in his sons. Okay? No, he keeps, you know, God's put him in this role. He knows the curse of God is coming upon him. Next week, we'll see he gets the curse repeated to him by a child. <laughs> um, and, you know, and he says, um, I'll just go ahead and read his response. Um, uh, next week, because um, Eli, Samuel doesn't want to tell Eli what God's told him. Because, you know, like, yeah, God told me he's going to kill you and your family, <laughs> you know. And um, and so, you know, Eli says, um, uh, you know, Eli's response to Samuel telling him everything, hiding nothing from him in verse 18 of chapter 3. It is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Um, so he's acknowledging that God has the authority and the power to bring about this curse that's going to fall on his household. And that's the will of God. And in a sense, he accepts that. Here. Yeah, it's a, we're given this it's a complex picture. Um, you know, he, you know, he gives a blessing to Hannah. Um, and, uh, you know, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. So we see him twice giving words of comfort and blessing to Hannah. And, um, you know, the blessing's coming true. Um, so he's certainly serving, um, as a, a means of God distributing blessing to the people. Oh, yeah, it's very old. Yeah, so maybe that goes in to, uh, doesn't have the energy. <sighs> these, these boys, so much effort. Again, it's this picture of someone who uh, knows what he's supposed to be doing. On one hand, he's doing his job well and is is serving as high priest as a means of God blessing the people. And on the other hand, he's not exercising that authority. Um, As Victor pointed out, over his own sons, he should be as the... You know, it says um, in Leviticus, you know, whoever eats the fat needs to be, um, you know, uh, put off from the camp and stoned to death. And, well, but they're my sons. Kind of, you know, he's he's waffling when it comes to his children. Um, Which, uh, and we'll end on this, just notice how in the cursing... uh, uh, um, so we have a man of God. We're not told who this man of God is. And interesting interesting that we have this sort of nameless prophet who's coming to the highest religious authority in the land. Um, so, you know, who's supposed to be God's man. So we have this man of God coming to give instruction um, and rebuke to God's man. But he's saying, therefore, um, uh, he's... Uh, God um, has said did I indeed reveal myself recounts history why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me so I mean that when the rebuke comes it's he's responsible for the faithful administering of these sacrifices and he's not seeing that they're being faithfully carried out because of his love for his sons um Alright, so, uh, and one other thing, just to emphasize, when the curse comes, um, much of it is going to take place after he's dead. But as a sign to him that it's going to take place, he's going to see the two sons die on the same day. Just make sure we hit that before we leave, because we're going to see that death later on. But um, let me close us in a word of prayer. Almighty Sovereign God, we rejoice uh, that you are the one in control. If left to our own devices, we would use the, the power and means you've given us to serve ourselves. That we would uh, act no different from Hophni or Phineas. But through the intervening act of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross... Uh, for us, by his death and by his raising to new life, you've taken us who were dead in our sins and um, opened our eyes to who you are and that we've entered into relationship through you and that we can know the living Lord of the universe. Uh, help us to be uh, faithful in our service to you, that we would not put the things of this earth Um, even our own uh, children and family members above our service to you. That, uh, as in Hannah's song, we would move from our own personal circumstances and look to the larger stage of human history and see you being the God who rules it and overrules it. Um, And we know at the end of the day that uh, our chief response needs to be worship that we need to uh, draw near to the throne of grace uh, individually and as we're going to do in the coming hour corporately that we will humble ourselves and rejoice in the salvation our sovereign God brings give us that spirit uh, and give us the ears to hear your word in the coming hour proclaim to us that we might receive and continue to receive
1: the gospel of Jesus Christ in his name we pray. Amen.